Amen. Well, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 this morning. As you're doing that, we are not dismissing for kids' crew today. It's the last Sunday of the month, and typically on the last Sunday of the month, we keep the kids with us rather than dismissing them for kids' crew. As we're talking about children, I want to just remind you that next weekend is going to be an important weekend for our church. Next Sunday morning, we will have, in view of call, uh, a young man that, that we're bringing to prospectively serve as the minister to children and families here at First Baptist Church. His name is Colby Sorensen. There's some information about Colby and his wife, Sarah, available in the foyer this morning, a little bio sheet that we've worked up, and uh, it's, it's the same information we've given out over the last few weeks. But if you haven't gotten to uh, see that yet, then I would encourage you to pick one of those up. Also, next Saturday from 3 to 4.30, in that window of time between 3 and 4.30, we're having a reception where you can come and meet the Sorensons, get to know them, hear their heart, their vision for children's ministry, and, and, and just their heart for ministry in general. This is the culmination of months' worth of prayer and searching for our church, months and months' worth of, uh, of work on, on behalf of our committee who've been processing and looking at candidates and, and all that goes into the the, the role, the job, really, of, of calling someone to serve on our staff. And so uh, we hope you'll get to know the Sorensons, be here with us next Sunday, come next Saturday for the reception to get to know them as well. We're really excited about this couple and about the future of that direction for the life of our ministry. You know, here in our church, uh, on any given Sunday, about a third of who we have in attendance are are children and, and under, right? Uh, and not just the children themselves, but also the team of leaders that it takes to, to serve and, and, and just to pour into them in those areas. But if you were to look on paper at the numbers, uh, and you would see that from about the age of 12 and down, when you add up both the children and the leaders, that it's, it's fully a third on any given week of the numbers that we have. That's an awesome thing for us to celebrate as a church, but it also represents this reality that we need, we need some, some leadership and some uh, direction there, and so months ago, we began the process of planning and pray, praying about this and seeing what direction God would lead us, and we believe that, that Kobe is where God has led us in that process, and so we want you to be here next week for that, all right? We're not in any particular sermon series at the moment. We finished our study through the book of Hebrews a few weeks ago, and we'll be beginning a brand new series in a, in a couple of weeks. But we had a, a couple of weeks here in between where we're, where we're filling in the gaps with some different things. And so really what this does is this gives me the opportunity to speak to you what's been on my heart lately, right? When we're working through a particular book in the Scripture, we just go systematically, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, working our way through and, and when we do that, I always am prayerful, and, and I believe that God brings to the, the forefront the things that we need to hear, the things that, that we need as a body. God, in a way that, that is beyond even my ability to, to connect all the dots and put all the pieces together, that God is working in that. But these, these few weeks here in between, last week, this week, next week, gives me the opportunity just to speak to you from my heart and where I've been, and as I'm leading our church, the direction that I think that we need to hear. And so I'm excited to share about this, this, this passage this morning in Luke chapter 10, because in this passage, Jesus talks to his disciples and sends them out on a mission. And, and as we've been studying on Wednesday nights this past month, 
what it means for us to understand the mission of God and be the people of God that are on mission together. I want to bring that to you today for, for the entire church to hear this word from Luke chapter 10 about what it means for us to be a people who are on a mission, okay? A people on a mission. And so we see in this passage, Jesus is directing his disciples and he's sending them out. He's giving them Literally, he's giving them their marching orders, right? He's, he's giving them instructions on where they're to go and what they're to do. And so I want us to see several key things in this passage this morning that relate to this idea of the mission, not only the mission that Jesus had for his disciples in this story, but the mission that he has for us in our lives today as well. So let's read together from Luke chapter 10, and then there are six points that I want to make this morning on what this means for us to live on mission. You'll notice on the front of your of your worship guide, by the way, when, when you came in and you received a copy of this, what does it say there? A people with a mission. We believe that the mission of God is at the very heart of First Baptist Church. What it means for us to be a people with a mission, what it means for us to be a people who live on mission is at the very core of who we are as a church. This mission of God. Well, what is the mission of God and what does that mean for us to be on mission? That's the very that's the very purpose of this text this morning, Luke chapter 10. And so let's study this together. We read, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. You know, I've been on mission trips before, and, and we, we call this the missionary prayer, right? Uh, the missionary prayer that whatever food is put in front of you, particularly in a, in, in a foreign culture, if you've ever traveled around the world, and you may not even know what you're putting in your mouth, the prayer is, God, I'll put it down. You help keep it down, right? Uh, but, but essentially, that's what Jesus says here. Listen, whatever they put in front of you, and for someone like me who has a refined palate, that's my fancy way of saying I'm a picky eater, right? Uh, that, that could be hard to do. But nonetheless, Jesus says, whatever they put in front of you, whatever is set before you, eat it, right? Heal the sick in it. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for the Sodom than for that town. Now jump down to verse 17 because now the disciples have come back and they are reporting back to Jesus about these, these, these very uh, different places in this mission that he sent them on. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So as we study this text this morning, I want us to see these key points of what it means for us to be 
on mission as the people of God. The first point is this, is that God sends us on mission to accomplish His purpose. Look at the very first verse, chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72. Now, 70, 72, right? If you're your Bible, particularly if you're reading from the ESV, which is what I read from and preach from, you'll notice a little, a little footnote and you jump to the bottom and it says, some manuscripts say 70, some say 72. Don't get too hung up on the number there because the reality is there were more than the 12 that followed Jesus, right? There were the 12 that were his disciples, his, his, his inner circle, his hand-picked few that, that he poured and invested his life in. But there were always there were always crowds around. And in this particular instance, there were 72 that Jesus sent out. Now, whether it was 70 or 72, some scholars have, have talked about the fact that in the world at this time, there were about 72 known nations, about 72 what we would today classify as countries, all right? Although the, the geography and, and, and such of the world that that time looked a lot different. And, and certainly there, that doesn't mean that there were just 72 people groups. There were countless numbers of people groups and tribes and kingdoms, but maybe about 72 countries. And so some scholars have said the number is 72 is representative of the fact that Jesus was sending his disciples into all of the world. And, and I don't know, maybe, that, maybe there's something to that, maybe not. I, I tend to think there were probably about 70 or 72 people that Jesus sent out. And maybe that's symbolic of something bigger. But the point that I want you to catch is that the group that Jesus is sending out here are going out to accomplish his mission. His mission. There is a purpose, and it's his purpose. Now look at this. He appointed 72 and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So in every place that Jesus was sending these 72 disciples, he already had a plan and a purpose to go to these places, these, these different locations, wherever they might be. Jesus was intent upon going into these different towns and villages, and, and the point is, Jesus already had a plan. He was sending the 72 ahead of him. They were his, they were his laborers going out into the harvest, as we see in this passage that they're called. But there's a purpose here that was Jesus' purpose. And he knew that he would be going into these places to preach, to teach, to minister. And so he sent his disciples ahead of him where he himself was about to go. You know, it's important that we understand that when God sends us on mission, it's to accomplish his purpose, not our purpose, his agenda, not our agenda, his plans, not our plans. So much of the time, we want to tell God how it's supposed to go, right? God, these are the things that I need. Lord, this is what, and, and we turn God into sort of like this cosmic vending machine of sorts. God, I, I'll give some prayer. I'll give my tithe. I'll give my time. I'll do these things. But Lord, here's what I need from you, right? I need these things. If I'm going to put in mine, then God, I'm expecting you to give me back what I need from you. The reality is it doesn't work that way at all. God operates on his timetable, on his plans, on his agenda, according to his purpose. The book of Job, we see that Job, in the midst of his suffering and his pain, sits down in the earth, just, just puts himself down in the ground. And for seven days, he doesn't say a word. And then when he does speak, he cries out to God, God, why did this happen? 
And, and we see in the book of Job a series of questions between Job and his friends and questioning God, questioning God's purpose. And ultimately, when God does speak, this is what God says. I'm paraphrasing uh, a little bit here, but God essentially says, Job, where were you when I made the earth? Where were you when I brought all of this into being? Where were you? Did you see what I was doing then? Can you see what I am doing now? Even if I were to tell you it's too much for you, you, you can't handle it, right? The point is, God has a purpose and a plan. God has an agenda. God has a direction for our lives. And as we pray about what it means to follow that purpose, as we pray about what it means to go out as one of these, to go into the places where God is sending us, to go out into life knowing that God is leading us, we need to understand this key foundational truth that our call is not to accomplish our mission, but his mission. Our call is not to accomplish our purpose, but his purpose. Our call is not to live according to our agenda, but his agenda. He's the one that's in charge. He's the one that has all the knowledge and and the wisdom. He's the one that knows what is best. And so if we're ever going to follow him and live on mission, we have to bring ourselves under that authority. We have to bring ourselves under the, the auspices, if you will, under the direction of his Holy Spirit and his leadership, his guidance in our, in our lives. When God sends us on mission, he sends us to accomplish his purpose. Now, here's the really incredible thing about the purpose of God, is that when we really begin to understand the purpose of God, when we really begin to see glimpses and and catch a vision of what the purpose of God is, what we find is that the purpose of God is always for His glory and for our good. Anytime we live according to the purpose of God, it is always for our good. The Bible says in Psalms 37 verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. When we begin to seek God and seek His purpose, when we begin to seek His glory, when we begin to live in such a way that our lives operate for His agenda, His timing, His purpose, His plan, His mission, His will, then what it's, what it's teaching us in Psalm, what it's teaching us here, what it teaches throughout the whole of Scripture is that God will get the glory and you and I will benefit because his glory is always for our good. There's no greater purpose that we could have. There's no, the, our plans will fall apart, right? Anything that we can come up with, it, it's sort of Murphy's Law, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. When you and I are left to our own ends and our own means and our own ways, we can, we can expect it's gonna blow up in our faces. And yet God's plans never fail. His his strength, his way, his power have no rival, cannot be thwarted. And so we ought to live according to his purpose. Jesus sends them out ahead of him in all the places where he himself was about to go. Secondly, we see this. God sends us on mission to be laborers. Now what we want, what we would rather is that God sends us on mission mission to be harvesters, right? That's really what we want, if we're to be honest. God, send us out and let us have the good stuff, the fun stuff, right? The truth is, God doesn't call us out 
to be the harvesters because the harvest is his. God calls us out to be laborers. Now, that's key. Understand this, right? He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, right? He's sending us out as the laborers. We're called of God to work. That's what a laborer works, right? That's what a laborer does. A laborer is the one who goes out and does the hard work. A laborer is the one who's who is sowing seed. The laborer is the one who is pulling the weeds. The laborer is the one who is working and tending the soil. The laborer is the one who's in the, the heat of the sun and, and, and whose brow is wet from sweat and whose back aches from the work, right? What we want is the harvest, but what God calls us to is the work, is the labor. Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. The harvest is the Lord's, right? He's the Lord of the harvest, the one who brings the result. Because here's, here's a, just a simple truth that you know to be true deep within you. You can't save anyone. You couldn't even save yourself, right? God doesn't call us to charge the world and save people. He will do that work that we could never do. What he calls us to do is to charge into the world ready to work ready to labor, ready to share the gospel, ready to sow seed, ready to roll up our sleeves, so to speak, and get our hands dirty for his kingdom. We're called out to be laborers on this mission that God has for us. God sends us on mission to be laborers. Not only does he call us to work, not only does he call us to be laborers, but when God sends us on mission there will be challenges. We will face challenges. Now, some of you, I, I know, uh, you, you would say, you've been reading my journal, right? Like you've, you've, clearly, you and God have been talking about me. There have been some challenges lately. But hear me for a moment. The reality is, we all face problems, and we know that. But there's this subtle lie that is easy for us to believe. It's, it's all around us today. Years of of, of uh, a, a prosperity gospel and a health and wealth type of teaching and preaching have, have invaded our, 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 our churches and our culture with this pervasive lie that says, if you just follow God, then everything's going to be okay. The problem with that is the Bible, right? The problem with that is that again and again in Scripture, we see stories of people who followed the Lord who were true and honest and their lives did not prosper, at least, let me, let me say it this way, at least in as much as the way that the world defines prospering, right? The world would say, follow Jesus, you'll be rich, you'll have lots of money, your business will flourish, your, your marriage will be great, your kids will, you know, be star athletes, everything will just be great. Life will be awesome if you, if you walk with Jesus, but that doesn't look much like what Jesus says here because Jesus specifically says, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. In other words, listen, Jesus says this great cheerful news to his disciples. Hey, I want you guys to, to get ready 
because I'm sending you out two by two, okay? As you go, I want you to know there's going to be a lot of work, and I also want you to know I'm sending you out like lambs amongst the wolves. They're going to be after you, right? You're going to be under attack. Great, Jesus, thanks. Sign us up, right? We'll get back to the good news later, right? Because we've already seen what happens when they come back. It's not as if this was fruitless. It's not as if there was no joy and, and no happiness in the work that God was sending them to do. But to be fair, first, we need to understand that when he sends us out on mission, there will be challenges. Not that there might be challenges. Not that challenges are around and some may find their way to us. No, he's sending us out as lambs in the midst of wolves. I don't know about you, but I, I often have felt like a lamb in the midst of wolves. And, and, and I suspect that probably you can identify with that as well, because I believe it's every bit as true for us today as it was when Jesus spoke to these words to these disciples then. That as we go out into the world to do the mission that he's called us to, the work that he's called us to, we can understand the challenges that come in life. We can understand what it feels like. Like we know the phrase that we've been thrown to the wolves, right? We understand that it feels sometimes like in the world around us today, we've been thrown to the wolves. Increasingly, when our faith is under attack, our, our beliefs are under attack. Well, increasingly, when we, when we look at the world around us and it seems like that in order, in order for people to make sense of, of what the Bible teaches and what the world is teaching today, that it's, it's almost as if those things are irreconcilable. So it's almost as if we have to cling to one and forfeit the other, right? That, that we have to cling to the Word of God and, and forfeit the culture. Or if we embrace culture, then we forfeit the Word of God. Increasingly, seems like there is this, this, this expanse, this unbridgeable gap between the two, that we're lambs in the midst of wolves. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Why would he do that? Why would he do that to us? You ever ask yourself the question? Why would Jesus send us out to something that he knew was going to be hard? Why would he send us out if he knew that we were going to be in harm's way, if he knew we were going to be? Why would, why would God ever let us be in unsafe, unfamiliar territory? The answer, I believe, is because it's not until we are walking in the midst of the, the, the struggle, the trial, the challenge that we go through as lambs amongst the midst of wolves. It's not until we are treading water, no longer, no longer comfortably able to stand on, on the shore or to reach down and touch. It's not until we're out beyond our depth that we really truly begin to live by faith the way that God has called us to live. See, as long as you can trust in your strength, you will trust in your strength, right? As long as you can lean on your own abilities, you will lean on your own abilities. As long as you can trust in the work of your hands, you will trust in the work of your hands. It's not until you are truly beyond your depth. It's not until you are living as a lamb in the midst of wolves that you recognize that you need a shepherd to protect you. The amazing thing is, every time we find ourselves in peril, every time we find ourselves faced by a challenge, every time we find ourselves in a situation that seems like it's too much for us, we can trust that the shepherd sees us 
and he is always there to protect his sheep. Jesus was sending them out. Notice he was sending them in all the places that he was about to go. Jesus knew what they were going to face. He knew what they would be up against. He knew the peril, the harm that would be in front of them, waiting for them. Yet he called his disciples to go on mission. There would be challenges. Let's keep moving. Fourth, we see that when God sends us on mission, he will provide for the work. He will provide for the work. Notice that Jesus says specifically, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. Right? He's, he's telling them, as you go, don't take all of the things that you might trust in. Don't take your, don't take your wallet, don't take your stuff, don't, don't pack for a long journey. He's telling them, I don't want you dependent upon your own resources, your own means. As you go into this, I want you to go depending upon me, trusting in me. I want you to be in situations where the only hope you have is to look for me for answers. The only thing that you can trust in is my plan, my purpose, my vision for your lives. So he tells them as they go, don't take all of the stuff that you might trust in. Don't take all the things that you might use to bail yourself out. Instead, go knowing that I'm going to provide for you. So God sends us on mission. He will provide for the work that he's called us to, the, the labor that he's called us to, to do as laborers of the harvest. God will provide for the work. The things that, frankly, you and I don't understand and we can't see that we, we feel as if God is, is asking something of us, and it, and it seems just impossible. It seems like it's something that we couldn't possibly do. Jesus is saying, that's exactly what I want for my disciples. I want you to go out into, into the fields, into the work, and I want, you to, to, I want you to be out of your depth. I want you to be in situations where you cannot hope in or trust in the things that you know so that you might trust instead in me. And I want you to know that as you go, and when you are in those moments, I will provide for the work. So Jesus calls them out, and he tells them, don't take your things, don't trust in your stuff. Fifth, we see that when God sends us on mission, he will be responsible for the results. He will be responsible for the results. Notice that Jesus gives them instruction about what to do when they're received and what to do when they're rejected, which means that he knows in advance sometimes we will be received and sometimes we will be rejected. Rejection is hard for us to face. Rejection is hard for us. We, we, wear, it, we wear it so personally it wounds us. Rejection is, is tough, and, and I'm, not needing, I'm not meaning to say, oh, we just need to brush it off. Listen, I live there too. Rejection is hard. It is. Here's what we must understand deeply in order that we would go out with the boldness, with the conviction that we need to accomplish the mission that God has called us to. The results, frankly, aren't up to us. We are not called to be harvesters in this sense, but laborers. We are not called to save anyone because we couldn't even if we tried. We are not called to change hearts and transform lives. We are not called to be anyone's hope and salvation. We are not called to be the answer to all of the questions in life for anyone. 
Jesus is. Our mission, our purpose, is to point other people to him. And so he calls us out as laborers into the harvest. And he tells us, I'm going to be responsible for the results. You go and you work. Some of the places you go, you will be received. Some of the places where you go, you'll be rejected, right? And so he says to them, if you, if you come into a, a house and you say first, peace to this house, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And then he talks about whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust from your town clings to our feet. We wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near in either case, in either instance, what are we to do? We're to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near. In either case, received or rejected, what are we called to do? Proclaim the hope of Jesus, that our hope, that our salvation rests in him and not in ourselves, not in our works, not in our hands, but in him. When God sends us on mission, he will be responsible for the results. You and I are called to be faithful to the work that he has given us. Now, Someone here today, I believe, needs to hear this message. Probably more than just one of us, right? But somebody here needs to hear this message today. Because for too long, you have been living in such a way that you have, you have, been, you have cowered back. You have, you, have been, uh, you have lived in fear. What if they reject me? What if, what if, I, what if I share Jesus with them and, and, and they say no? Well, Jesus says some people are going to receive it, some people are going to reject it. But who and what are they receiving and rejecting? Are they receiving you? If the gospel that you're preaching, if the hope that you're preaching to people is somehow centered around you, then friends, you've given them a false gospel in the first place, right? If in any way the, the, the transformation that is to come is, is to be dependent upon you and what hope you have and what you have to give someone, then, then, then you've given them a, a false hope and a false gospel because our salvation rests in Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, I recognize that often when, we, when we're nervous, when we, when we worry about rejection, it's not so much that we believe we're called to save anyone, but what happens is we, we worry that, well, if I... If I share Jesus and things get weird, I'm just here to say if you share Jesus and they reject it, things are probably going to get a little weird, okay? They probably are in the relationship. But what would you rather have? A little awkwardness for a time? Or would you rather go on, go on living with the knowledge that apart from a saving knowledge of Jesus, the Bible is clear that we are destined for eternity in hell? Which is the worst reality? A little awkwardness in the relationship? or the eternal suffering of hell. When we put it that way, we can live with a little weirdness in the relationship, right? Jesus calls us to go on mission, and he promises us that he will be responsible for the results. You and I can't fix anything or anyone. We couldn't do that for ourselves. You and I can't save anything or anyone. We couldn't save ourselves. You and I have no hope to offer or give anyway. The only thing that we have that's good in us is Jesus, as Paul said. And so let us do our best to point other people to him. And finally, we see this. When Jesus, or excuse me, when God sends us on mission, we go with his authority. We go with his authority. The disciples came back 
And it's almost as if they were surprised. They said, Jesus, it worked, right? Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. You told us not to take our stuff, and so we didn't take our stuff. And Jesus, guess what? It worked. Like, like things happened. We were provided for. Our needs were met. Oh, yeah, but you knew that, didn't you? Right? See, because when God sends us on mission, we go with his authority. Jesus says, I have given you authority. Verse 19. I've given you authority. Yes. The reason that it worked the way it did is because I gave you my authority. And so the demons, believe me, they, they, they weren't afraid of you. They didn't, they didn't submit to your authority or tremble at your name. It's, it's me that they fear. But it's my authority that you bear. It's my authority that you go with. It's my authority that will lead you if you will just do what I've called you to do. When you go, you go with my authority. But then he says this, which is so important. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, okay? Don't celebrate my authority over you as though it were something that, 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 that you possess in any way that it was something that you have done. He says, rather celebrate this. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Listen, I'll give my authority to you as you need it. I'll give my authority in those moments. I, you're going to take my authority as you go, but the thing that I want you to celebrate, the thing that I want you to, to, to really, truly meditate on is not the authority of God. Because, see, authority has the tendency to puff us up, right? Authority has the tendency to make us think. Like, you ever worked with somebody and they got moved up into a position of management or responsibility above you, and all of a sudden the relationship just wasn't the same because now with a little bit of authority just came just a, a little bit of, uh, well, it just puffed them up. Let's say it that way, right? You ever been in a situation like that? You ever, you ever been in a situation where mom and dad leave and they, and they left the oldest sibling in charge and the oldest sibling's like, now you've got to all listen to me. You know, I've got you right where I want you. That sort of thing, right? Authority puffs up. But Jesus says this. Listen, don't, don't focus on the authority that I give you. Focus on the salvation that I've given to you, right? The authority is mine. I'll use it as I please. I'll take it. I'll give it. That, that's mine. It's my authority to give. It's my authority to use. What I want you to celebrate, what I want you to focus your lives on, what I want to be at the, at the core of your identity is that your names are written in the book of life. In other words, that you're mine. The reason you can have my authority is because, first, you have my, my, my blessing. You have my covering. You have my Holy Spirit. My salvation is yours. Celebrate that. If you're going to celebrate anything, don't celebrate what God has, do, has done through you. Celebrate what God has done for you, right? If you, want to, if you want to boast in anything, as Paul would say, I boast in nothing except the cross that Jesus crucified, right? If you're going to celebrate anything, if you're going to be known for anything, if you want people to look at you and remember and see anything, let it be this, that I'm a sinner saved by grace. So when God sends us out on mission, we go with his authority. We go with his authority. Not our authority, not our works, not our goodness, not our, not our gospel in the sense that it's about us. His authority for our lives. This is so important for us to understand because if we're to be a people on mission, a people used by God, a people whose lives 
are spent day after day on his purpose, then we have to understand that when God sends us out on a mission, he sends us for his purpose. That when God sends us out on a mission, he calls us to work, to be laborers, and that there will be challenges along the way, but that he will give us what we need. He will provide for us through the challenges that we face. We don't have to focus on the results. The results are his. We're called to labor and work for his kingdom under the banner of his authority. If we will do that, if we will focus our lives in that way, then we will live on mission. We will truly be a people with a mission used by God. And here's what's at stake, lest we forget somehow. Here's what's at stake. The Bible is clear that this world is destined for destruction apart from the saving knowledge of Jesus. That the people that you work with, the people that you live nearby, the people that you know and that you love, apart from a a relationship with Jesus through faith, they are destined for hell. Now that doesn't get preached a lot today, that that the reality of God's wrath and his punishment, his judgment over sin are things that, frankly, any of us would ignore if we could, but we cannot. So let's understand that as the people of God, we are called to live on mission for him, to go out into this world with his authority, for his purpose, to do his work. May God use us for his kingdom. and May we trust him for the results. In a moment, as we move into a time of invitation, our altars are going to be open this morning. And maybe for some, today God is speaking to you. He's calling you out into the fields and he's saying to you, I have a mission for you. I've got a purpose for your life. And what you need to do today is just simply to respond in obedience to him. Yes, God, I'm willing to go. What is it that Jesus tells them to do? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And so today what you need to pray is, Lord, I see the harvest. Send me. Send me out into the harvest. As we sing a a song of response, our altar will be open here this morning. We encourage you to come and just kneel here in prayer before God, offering yourself to him. God, I'm willing and I'm ready. Will you send me out into the harvest? Maybe what some of you need to hear today is that you've heard this message, you've heard this, and and, and this is the reality that, that clings to you, right? In order, for, in order for me to do any of this, there, first, I've got to be submitted to Jesus. Like, in order for me to go, I've got to first be surrendered to his purpose. Today, God is calling you to salvation. He's calling you to no longer trust in yourself, to no longer trust in your goodness, to no longer trust in your own might, your own power, your own ability, but instead to surrender your life to him. And if God is speaking to you today and he's calling you to surrender your life to Jesus, then As we sing this song, we would encourage you that you would come forward. Take myself or Brad by the hand. We'll be here at the front ready to receive you this morning, ready to pray a simple prayer of faith with you. That You would surrender your your will, that you would surrender your life to Jesus, trusting in his power to save you and his plan for your life. God sends us out as his people. Let us be a people who are focused on doing the mission of God. Pray together. Lord God, as we... As we enter into this time of response, I pray that you would speak so loudly, so clearly to our hearts, so undeniably, God, that we would know exactly what you're calling us to do. Lord, if there's anyone here today that needs to surrender their heart and their life to you, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would give them the boldness that it would take to do that. It is no small task to 
confess that and admit that in front of a group of people with a bunch of eyes watching, and yet, Lord, we believe, we believe that you have called us to surrender our lives to you, and we also know that it's, it's easier here than it's going to be anywhere else in this world. Lord, give them the boldness today to step out and act by faith. If there's anyone here, Lord, that's been wrestling with the call that you've placed on them, God, today speak clearly to them. Stir their heart to action and obedience. Lord, if there's anyone here today that's been afraid of rejection, help them to see that it's not them that people receive or reject, it's you, Jesus. And let us... Let us go out into this world and, and share boldly the hope you've given. Lord, move them to act. If there's anyone here who's been wrestling with trusting you for provision because, it, frankly, it's hard and it's scary. Lord, I pray today that you would speak to their heart. You would help them to see that you have everything you need. You, you don't need what we have. Rather, you call us to use it for your kingdom. You call us to trust you and obey. Lord, stir their heart to trust and obey. As we, as we respond to you today, Lord, move in our hearts, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.